And uh, we are starting this new series today, as Seth said. And uh, just to kind of kick it off, I've been thinking about one of my favorite comedians. His name is Brian Regan. Uh, Maybe you've seen him. And he has a great bit on politics and uh, being president. Now, I'm not going to do a political thing. Don't worry. Uh, but, But what he says is he goes, man, I don't know why anybody would want to be president. He says, can you imagine being woken up every day with someone saying, problems, lots of problems. Of course, who would want that? And yet the reality is you don't have to be president anymore to wake up feeling like problems, lots of problems, because you have this little device called a phone that tells you every single morning, problems, lots of problems. And uh, we're just stuck in this season of about four months of what some people have coined this new term of doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling is where you get out your phone and you're just kind of scrolling through And it's bad news after bad news, problems, lots of problems. That's what it is. Uh, I was on vacation a couple weeks ago and every so often someone would be kind of looking at their phone and someone else would come in the room and say, hey, what's going on in the world today? And it was never good. (laughs) And so when we think at a macro level, we can see that there's problems, lots of problems in the world. When we think at a more personal level, there might be lots of problems in your life. You might be thinking about situations in your family. You might be thinking about situations with your kids, situations at work. You might be in a situation where you don't really have work right now or it's not what it used to be. And I don't need to go through all of the problems, but these problems are big and the news feels increasingly bad. A couple weeks ago, like I said, when I was on vacation, I was just reading Psalm 112. And Psalm 112 stopped me in my tracks. It felt like I got hit by a two by four when I came across verse seven. Here's what it says there, talking about a righteous person. It says, he is not afraid of bad news. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. This righteous man described in Psalm 112 is not afraid of bad news. And that just slapped me upside the face and said, Luke, you're afraid of bad news. I think I've just been in this place where it's like, oh no, what is it now? What's the latest thing? What's the new problem? Problems, lots of problems. But the righteous person's heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And therefore, because of that deep trust in the Lord, he's not afraid of bad news. Now that's not where I've been uh, every moment of the last four months. That's not where you've been every moment of the last four months. And so what this sermon series is for these next three weeks is really as much as anything, to be just totally honest with you, this is me preaching to myself which is kind of weird, Um, but I've just been in this spot where I've been like, man, this news is overwhelming. Uh, The doom scrolling has gotten too much. And it's, it's been this question I've been asking of what do I need to hear right now? Assuming that you probably need to hear some of the same things that I need to hear. What do we need to hear right now? And here's what we need to hear is that we have big problems to be sure, but we have a bigger God. Big problems, but a bigger God. And I don't think there's a passage in the Bible that could be more helpful along the lines of showing us this bigger God than Isaiah chapter 40. So this is where we're going to be for the next uh, few weeks. I would encourage you over these next weeks, rather than doom scrolling, do some uh, Isaiah 40 scrolling. Uh, Read through this a number of times. And what you'll see is that your view of God will get bigger and your view of the problems will get smaller. So we'll look at this kind of a chunk at a time. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 as we look at this big God who's bigger 
than our big problems. So let's pray together. Let's ask God's help as we go to his word. Father in heaven, uh, God, we, uh, we come to you just n- acknowledging that we uh, are very often afraid of bad news. We don't feel like we can take a lot more of it. Uh, we feel overwhelmed with problems. And God, it's just so easy to see those things instead of to see you. And so God, would you use your word over these next weeks? Would you use this, your word over these next minutes to give us a, a clarified view to help us to look up and to see how big and great you are. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we're going to look at a number of things today from this passage. The first thing that we're going to look at is just the honesty of this text that problems are coming. Problems are coming. And actually to to see this, you really need to go back a chapter. So swipe left to Isaiah chapter 39. In Isaiah chapter 39, uh, what's been going on in in Isaiah 1 through 39 is is Isaiah has been predicting the downfall of Judah. That because of the the people of Judah, because of their idolatry, because of their walking away from the Lord, God was going to send them off into exile. And that prediction is pointed at the end of Isaiah 39. It says, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Problems are coming, right? That's that's where Isaiah 39 ended was saying, hey, this is not going to be good. You are going to be sent off into exile. Uh, By the way, Isaiah's writing that 200 years before the people of Judah were in fact carried off to Babylon with many of their sons as eunuchs. That's what you see in the book of Daniel. That's what Seth preached about a few weeks ago in Jeremiah 29, that problems were coming. Then what you see in chapter 40, well, we'll get there in just a moment, but first, just think about this. Problems are coming, not just for these Jews being sent into exile, but problems are coming for all of us, right? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. The apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3 says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, a lot of people through these moments have been going, man, are we in the last days? Well, Paul thought he was in the last days. So yes, we're in the last days. And he says there will be terrible times in these last days. He says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you've been somehow sold that following Jesus and trusting in God means no more bad news, no more problems, someone lied to you. The scripture is very clear that bad news is coming, and sometimes bad news is coming for a lot longer than we want. This has been, I think, what's been so uh, discouraging over these last months. As when this all started, you went, oh, this will be over soon, and it won't be long, and uh, that wasn't true. And even now, we want to go, oh, well, this will be over soon, and maybe we'll be about to start school, maybe, and uh, maybe football season will start. Eh, I don't know. Sometimes the Big problems last a long time. I, I was walking uh, a few weeks ago listening to Seth's sermon from Jeremiah 29. And he was talking about how the prophets in Jeremiah, these false prophets had arisen and told the people who were in exile, hey, it won't be long. It'll just be a couple of years. Uh, but Jeremiah comes along and says, no, it's actually going to be 70 years. And I had this moment where I kind of lost my breath for a second as I was listening to that sermon. I was thinking, what, what if 
What if this lasted 70 years? Oh dear God, I hope not. What if this lasted a lot longer than we think? See, we, we don't want to be in the place of minimizing the problems or imagining the problems aren't real. The problems are real and they're big and they're coming, but God is bigger. God is bigger. So then we turn into Isaiah chapter 40, and what we find out there is that God is bigger, he comforts. God is bigger because he comforts. It says in verses 1 in the beginning of verse 2, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Problems are big. Problems are real, problems are long lasting, but God is bigger and our bigger God, what he does first is he declares comfort. Now, if you were to understand kind of what Isaiah is doing is in chapters one through 39, he's a couple hundred years before the exile into Babylon. When he picks up in chapter 40, it's as though he has transported in time and he's now talking to the people in exile. So he's, he's, in a sense, sort of fast-forwarded and said, okay, now you're in exile, here's God's word to you. Now you're in the problems, here's what God's saying to you. And the first words are comfort, comfort. When a word is repeated in the Hebrew scriptures, that's a big deal. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Well, what is this comfort that God brings? Well, first, God comforts covenantally covenantally. Look at what it says in verse one. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is language of covenant. God has entered into relationship. God has entered into covenant. God has entered into a kind of marriage relationship with his people. And so this comfort is God giving comfort to his people covenantally. He will not let them go. My people, says your God. Notice also that this comfort is God comforting abundantly. Back in Isaiah 39, there was one voice saying, hey, there's going to be exile. But now what we'll see in chapter 40 is that there's actually going to be multiple voices giving comfort. In fact, those words comfort, comfort, uh, we don't pick up on this in, in the English translation, but in the Hebrew, that's actually a plural. Those are plural words. In other words, it's like God saying, y'all comfort my people, says your God. And who's he talking to? He's talking to this multiplicity of prophetic voices who are going to preach comfort over the course of chapter 40. So God comforts abundantly. Uh, third, God comforts tenderly. Look at verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly. This is describing speaking to Jerusalem's heart. God comforts with tenderness. God comforts with care. He doesn't just show up and say, look how huge I am. He also comforts tenderly. This word, uh, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, is used in Genesis 34 to describe a young man wooing his girl. It's used in Ruth chapter 2 to describe someone bringing reassurance. In Hosea chapter 2, uh, describing a deserted husband who's seeking to win his wife back. That's what it is to speak tenderly. God is seeing himself in covenant relationship with his people and saying, I love you. And I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to be with you. And then finally, we see that God's comfort is decisive. God comforts decisively because he doesn't just speak tenderly. He also says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. That is a word that means proclaim, announce, preach. 
preach to my people that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God is bigger. He comforts. But what is this message of comfort? Well, third, we see that God is bigger and he pardons. See, the very first message of comfort given to God's people in this text is a message of pardon and of forgiveness. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. The hostility between God and man is over. That her iniquity is pardoned, it's forgiven, it's cleansed. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It's striking that phrase at the end of verse two. She has received from the Lord's hand. That's personal. Saying God is not just off somewhere distant, saying, yeah, I guess your sins are forgiven. But it's, it's this language that's communicating a personal pardon from God, a personal forgiveness from God. That's as though God is extending his hand of fellowship to you, to his people. And then I, I love this phrase at the very end. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This word double is a really interesting Hebrew word. It has with it the idea of folding over. Uh, folding in half, folding over. And what's striking about that, like I've got my, uh, I've got my sweat rag here. Uh, I, that's what I call it, <laughs> my sweat rag, right? And I've got this, I've got this rag. Uh, it's a towel, it's not really a rag, right? But I've got this. And if you, if you have it and then you fold it over, what's striking about that is that each part that's folded over corresponds with another part of that thing. And this is what this is saying, is that you have your sins, you have your iniquities, you have the ways you have rebelled against God, and God's pardon and God's forgiveness is so thorough that he will fold over and cover every part of it. There's not going to be one little corner of your sin that's sticking out unpardoned, but that God, in his grace, in his bigness, is going to cover you completely. Listen, the message of comfort begins with God saying, you have sin that needs to be forgiven. Listen, friends, our our biggest problem right now, it's not economic. Our biggest problem isn't having to wear masks in places we don't want to. Our biggest problem isn't the fear of sickness or even death. Our biggest problem is sin. Our biggest problem is that the thing we trust in is not God. It's ourselves, it's our power, it's our control. The thing that we look to, to rescue us from the uncertainty. We often take God's good gifts and distort them and trust in them instead of trusting in him. And so our biggest problem is our alienation from God. Our biggest problem is that our warfare has not ended. But when we come to trust in Jesus Christ, our warfare is ended, our iniquity is pardoned. We receive from the Lord's hand double covered over, folded over for all of our sins. That's our biggest problem and our biggest source of comfort is God's grace there. But there's more. Here's the fourth thing we see is that God is bigger. He shows his glory. So as I mentioned in verse one, where it said comfort, comfort, that was a plural, hey, y'all comfort. And what we're gonna see in the rest of this chapter is, is these different voices that proclaim comfort. And the first voice is found in verse three. It says in verse three through five, a voice cries 
In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice cries, God is coming and he's gonna show his glory. He shows his glory by pardoning our sin, but he shows his glory by actually coming as a person. So listen up. This glory of the Lord, verse five, shall be revealed. Now there's a striking thing just in verses three and four. We don't kind of understand what's all this language about a street road and a highway and the valleys being lifted up and the mountains being made low. What is this about? Well, this is describing a king who's coming, right? God is coming as a king. And oftentimes in ancient days, when a king would come, they would have to build a new highway for the king to come. The king wouldn't just travel on any ordinary roads. They would build something significant. And that's what this is saying. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Valleys lifted up, mountains be made low, uneven ground should become level, the rough places a plain. This is a picture of a journey that is made easily without things getting in the way, without things interrupting, making clear that the king who's coming will, in fact, arrive. Uh, when I was on vacation in Ohio, I uh, did something I'd never really done before, which was uh, cycling. Um, I don't think you're going to find me uh, buying a road bike and strapping on the spandex anytime soon. But cycling was really fun while I was on vacation and, and we had a good time. My in-laws are really into it. And uh, they, my, my father-in-law has this nice kind of extra road bike. And so we would go on these rides, uh, you know, I don't know how far we went, 16, 18, 20 miles, something like that. And what I learned really fast is that when you're cycling, you want the road to be smooth. Right, there's actually all these hand signals that you, you, know, you do this if the road has a bunch of gravel on it. There's these ways you communicate with the other people riding with you. And what happens is like there was this one ride that we did after a storm had taken place. And so there were branches and there were things just in the way. And uh, especially for somebody who's not used to this, right, I'm riding on this little shoulder of the road and there's all this kind of rubble and stubble in the way. And there's cars coming by at 50 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, holy cow, this is this is scary. This is uncertain. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it home. And what Isaiah chapter 40 is saying is that God is coming and he knows he's going to make it. The way has been cleared. The highway is abundantly obvious. The debris has been cleared. God is coming. Who's the highway for? It's for God. What is God coming for? To reveal his glory. Look at verse five. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. In other words, this is gonna be the glory of God coming for all the world to see. And if you're not sure it's gonna happen, look at what it says at the end, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Now glory is an interesting word because we, we use that kind of in church world and in Bible world and we, we know our goal is to glorify God. And, but, but what does this mean that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Well, the, the word glory has with it the idea of weightiness, heaviness. It's from the same root word as something that's heavy. 
And so when we talk about the glory of the Lord being revealed, we're talking about the weightiness of God being revealed. In Isaiah 6, there's this incredible picture of, of the glory and holiness of God. And what you see there is that after God is revealed as holy, 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 what it says is the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the next little line says that the foundations of the temple shook. There was an earthquake. Why? Because God is heavy, right? When you watch a movie and there's a big dinosaur or a monster or something big and mighty and it enters the room, the ground shakes because it's heavy. And the glory, the weightiness, the significance of God is coming. Now, this is such good news because we've even used the language, I know, in a number of these sermons we've been doing about how it feels like the earth is moving underneath our feet. And that's because these problems that we're all facing feel very heavy. But this is saying that God's comfort is coming, that if you will look to God in the midst of these problems, what you'll see is that he's heavier, that his weight has the power to displace the problems that you're afraid of. God is bigger than our problems. Our problems are heavy, God's heavier, God's more glorious. And finally, what we see in this passage is that God is bigger and he stands forever. Look at verse six. Here's a second voice. And this second voice is essentially crying, nothing will stop him. Look at verse six. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and it's, all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Listen, when we're facing big problems, when it feels like we're doom scrolling, when it feels like every day it's problems, lots of problems. If we look within, if we look to other humans to fix this, if we look to political leaders, if we look to uh, other created things, we're lost because, as it says, we're like withering grass. It says all flesh is grass, verse 6, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. That phrase, all its beauty, could also be translated all its faithfulness. So this isn't just talking about kind of aesthetic beauty. It's not talking about just something that looks pretty, but it's saying even its, it's kind of faithfulness, its constancy, like, like how much it can be counted on, how much humanity can be counted on is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. But, but, do you see that word in verse eight? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Listen, the story of the Bible is the story of God saying, but, I know your problems are big. I know your sin is great. I know your future is bleak, but God, is intervening. Look at the story of scripture in Genesis chapter 50. Joseph declares, you meant what you did to me for evil, but God meant it for good. Psalm 73, my heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Another psalmist in Psalm 96 says, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. 
We read in John 3.16 that God gave his only son that so whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 declares, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to talk big problems? Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul lists off all kinds of sins that keep people from the family of God, from the kingdom of God, and he says, such were some of you. You had even bigger problems when it came to your sin, but you were washed, you were sanctified. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7 says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins and were by nature children of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. And finally, James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, we have hope today. We don't have to wallow in discouragement today. Our problems are big. Our world is troubled. Our lives are fragile. But the word of our God stands forever. And this word of God says he is coming with comfort. He is coming with pardon. He is coming to reveal who he really is. Our problems are real. Our problems are big. And listen, our problems are not going away. But God is bigger. And he stands forever. Next week, we're gonna look at a big chunk in the middle of chapter 40. Read it this week to, to get an enlarged vision of the bigness and the greatness and the glory of God. But today, remember, no matter what you're facing this week, you have a big God who's coming to you with comfort and with strength. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what an amazing gift that you would give your people comfort. What an amazing gift that you would Send your son, Jesus, the glory of the Lord who would be revealed. The one who would show us that in this world we will have trouble. But he's overcome the world. And so God, today we ask you for encouragement and for strength. We don't feel like we have a lot within us. We feel like when we try to dig deep, we just hear the, the ping of the of the ladle hearing the bo- clicking the bottom of the bucket and there's just not much there. But God, you renew our strength and you give us hope. God, would you do that today? Would you touch our lives in a powerful way? Thank you that you are a God who intervenes. Thank you for the but of the gospel. We pray in Christ's name, amen.